Welcome to the podcast of San Diego First Church of the Nazarene. We are a church that's located on the Point Loma Peninsula here in San Diego, California. And we certainly invite you to come and join us anytime that you can. Uh, but we welcome you joining us online as well. And so it's great to be with you. My name is Dee Kelly. And as one of the pastors here at the church, it is a privilege this morning to take you into the passage of Scripture, the reading that we find in Proverbs this morning, Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs is an interesting book in that it is a collection of statements, sayings, an attempt to help us to understand the world in which we live based on the experience of those who created these proverbs, these sayings, these teachings, a way by which to help us navigate the circumstances we're in based on the experiences of those who have gone before us. Proverbs come in many forms. I remember when I was a little kid. It was during the heyday of box games, and I was in grade school. My parents had purchased for me a, a game that all of us could play, and the game that we were playing was a game, I believe, entitled Move to the Head of the Class. And it included players that went across this board um, with all kinds of cards that had questions that you were supposed to answer. And it was a way by which to teach lessons to grade school kids. It was during this game that I learned the phrase, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Well, that's in and of itself a proverb, a kind of a catchy saying that helps give direction to people. I do also remember, and I think it was also in the context of the game, a play on the opposite of that proverb, late to bed, late to rise, makes a person sick, poor, and stupid. Both of those have stuck with me for decades because uh, it kind of locked in. It was a catchy phrase. And there are many things like that that might hold true for us. There's a phrase you've probably heard many times. Maybe you haven't. I don't know, but I did growing up. It was the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. And the phrase, the proverb, makes some sense. But as with the one that I learned in the board game, neither one of these are biblical proverbs. They are just little bits of wisdom that people have passed on through generations to help others who follow. So what about the Proverbs that are in the Bible? This collection is attributed to Solomon, some of them um, possibly written by him, others collected from uh, other literature that might have been uh, gleaned by Solomon or maybe those who followed. In its present form, the book of Proverbs is probably long after Solomon passed away. But because of the wonderful story we have about Solomon asking for wisdom, this book seems appropriately attributed to him. Again, I remember at a very young age, one of the very first scriptures I ever memorized was the result of being in a program at church called Caravans. And it was the Proverbs, the proverb 
3, 6, chapter 3, verse 6. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That has stuck with me through these years. I think I might have even gotten a patch for memorizing it. But it is one of those things that has lingered with me to acknowledge the Lord in everything I do, and the Lord will provide direction for what I do. Well, there are other proverbs that maybe have stepped off the page for you. Um, one that I've taken note of, and I'm um, sure that I haven't followed it often enough, but is the proverb that says, even a fool appears wise if he keeps his mouth shut. And so there are times when I've just stayed quiet because I knew nothing about what was being spoken and it wouldn't have done any good to try and pretend. The proverb that probably stands out in the midst of this book is the one found in chapter 1, verse 7. In some ways, it is the theme of the book. And it goes like this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Maybe in our um, current translation, it might be the awe of God or the profound respect or wonder of God is the beginning of wisdom. Taking God out of the equation might lead to a lot of knowledge, but I wonder if it actually leads to wisdom. So, here we begin to jump into this particular book and try and glean for ourselves what might be important for us. As some of these proverbs have stayed with me for many, many years, I would encourage you, knowing that all of our spiritual journeys are different, and not that mine is an example for anyone, but I might encourage you over the course of a number of weeks or months to try and identify a couple of proverbs that resonate with you, that might hold you steady through circumstances. Memorize them. Not a chapter's worth. One of the problems with the book of Proverbs is that you kind of become numb as you hear the cadence and rhythm of the verses and is the the fact that there is no storyline there's no thematic plot line now they are grouped into subjects at least some portions of the proverbs are but it's easy to read through them and and soon become numb to the to the rhythm of them the the meaning behind them so maybe it's particularly beautiful that this morning's reading actually selects just six verses to read. It would be difficult to cover the breadth of ground that a chapter's worth of Proverbs covers. So consider picking out a few that might be important to you in your journey. I would also like to say that there is a um, tendency to attribute much of this book to what's called the golden age of Israel's history under Solomon's rule. I would remind us, though, that that golden age under Solomon's rule was not a golden age for everyone. 
wasn't a golden age for um, indentured servitude or slave labor. It wasn't a golden age for women. It wasn't a golden age for those who had to bear the tax burden to do all of the things that Solomon did. So certainly is it attributed as a very important time in Israel's history, but just an important recognition that there are so many people whose um, life does not mirror the life of others. And the reason I say that is that the six verses we look at this morning point toward the disparity between people. But generally speaking, Proverbs is a collection of those things that are lessons and insights. Insights that come from experience on the very basis of human conduct. How people live, how people interact, how they journey with one another, and how to enhance those relationships in such a way that we live as God intended us to live in community. Well, let me read for you the passage from which this morning's reading comes. It is Proverbs chapter 22, beginning with verse 1 and reading verse 2. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Then reading verses 8 and 9. He who sows wickedness reaps trouble, and the rod of his fury will be destroyed. A generous person will himself be blessed, for he or she shares his food with the poor. And then moving down to verses 22 and 23. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor. And do not crush the needy in court. For the Lord will take up their case and will plunder those who plunder them. Well, it's difficult. I would say it's impossible to look at this reading. And I should have concluded the reading by saying the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's difficult or impossible to come to the end of this reading without acknowledging the thematic nature of the readings that have been selected for this morning. And that is how we deal with the economic disparities that we see around us. Or maybe we don't see them very well, but they are identified by the writer of this particular book. It raises the question of how difficult it is to talk about some of these issues. It feels like it quickly becomes politicized. It quickly becomes an um, argument. I, I want to say that as we speak about these issues, we have in our fellowship talked often over the years about how it, important it is to hold the different streams of Christian faith and the way it has been expressed over the centuries, hold them together. 
This is probably an overly simplistic approach. But to acknowledge the six primary streams of Christian thought over the years, they've included the holiness tradition, the contemplative tradition, the sacramental tradition, the charismatic tradition, the evangelical tradition, and the social action or social justice tradition. They become out of balance when we don't hold them together. They have a, a symptomology, if you will, when a person becomes out of balance by only paying attention to or recognizing one aspect of the Christian faith journey. To be completely contemplative and to pay no attention to the world around you or to be engaged in the body of believers can lead to some significant problems in a person's spiritual journey. And so we have talked often about holding these six faith traditions or way by which to engage the spiritual journey, holding them together. And in holding them together, attempting to hold one another accountable for a balanced, holistic, healthy spiritual life and journey. Well, it is certainly possible to talk about all six of these traditions as we look at these six verses. We could say that we need to contemplate the verses and see how they might move us. We might talk about the holiness tradition and what it means to not only have a heart that seeks after God, but hands and feet that engage in actions to live out that character of God. We could talk about the charismatic tradition that we all have a role in ministry within the body of believers and what that role might be in regard to the poor would be different depending on who we are. We can talk about sharing the good news while we share in transformational actions that help people move out of the circumstances they are in. We could talk about uh, the sacramental tradition and how important it is to understand God's grace in the context of the things we do together, such as acts of hospitality. So we can weave all of these into this moment, but these six verses certainly raise the issue of how do we handle difficult conversations of social justice or social actions? Well, I, I want to point out that it is all around us. One of the calls from Scripture is to have an eye that sees these things, not an eye that ignores them. An eye that sees them, not in a sense that raises guilt or raises our defenses, but recognizes that we need help in knowing how to address such things. And so, I just want to mention our own congregation, our own locale. And this in no way is a desire to put any guilt on anyone. As soon as we try and impose guilt, defenses are raised, and that's not the intent at all. But just to talk, how do we talk together about addressing the needs among us? We certainly tend in our culture to be very individualistic. Scripture calls us into community. 
It calls us to be on the journey together and to see the other in all we do. Ephesians, if nothing else, our six-week study should have told us how important it is to build bridges, to put to death the hostility that exists between people. Well, how do we do that? In some ways through hospitality, replacing hostility. So, again, I don't want to put any guilt on anyone. I just want to talk about it. We have, as part of our congregation, a single dad with a special needs son living on about $1,300 a month plus food vouchers. It's a struggle. It's a constant struggle for them. We have a retired woman living on about $1,520 a month with no food vouchers. We have another woman who has attended our church on a few occasions, and a couple of us have delivered food and gift cards to the van in which she lives. And I, no doubt, um, are here this morning with many of you who face incredibly difficult circumstances yourself. How do we do this in community? How do we have conversations about this without imposing some sense of uh, heaviness that causes us to give up or causes us to argue? Maybe one of the questions we face when we listen to these six verses is, what happens when somebody isn't treated humanely, with respect, with dignity, either by other people or by systems that we live in, systems that make it difficult for people to break out of the incredible um, repetition of circumstances that feel like it keeps them trapped. Maybe the response is, what if they have acted in a way that doesn't deserve dignity? And I understand that. There are certainly bad choices that some people have made, but I would say that feels very similar to my profound disobedience to God in the midst of God's great grace. God didn't come, me, come to me when I got everything fixed up, when I got everything right, when I got everything figured out. God's grace reached to me in the midst of poor choices in the midst of um, repeatedly doing things that pushed God away, that were destructive to myself or to others. That's what grace is. And so we enter into this conversation wrestling with our own great need and trying to stay in a posture of recognizing what God has done on our behalf. So, the writer of Proverbs, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. It is an interesting notion to recognize that our integrity, our character, our good name is far more important than riches. Certainly, riches enable us to do some things, but a good name, it is something that this passage says is far more valuable than we could ever imagine. 
I'm, I'm going to make a statement now. I, I know it can be dis- construed as political. Uh, it is not. It's not my intent. But I believe that this statement is true for all levels of leadership, regardless of a person's cause or their political affiliation or the particular endeavor in which they are engaged. So here's the statement. I want to acknowledge as the preface that the policies enacted by a leader are important. The kind of actions they take, the things they put in place to guide whatever system it is that they oversee. But in the long run, character matters more. I can't escape that in Proverbs 22. A good name, more desirable than great riches, to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Character matters, and this is a book about character. The Proverbs goes on to say, Rich and poor have this in common, the Lord is maker of them all. This kind of pushes against some of the other passages in Scripture that seem to say that blessing is God's favor on those that have done good and struggle or difficult circumstances are God's punishment on those who have done poorly. And this passage is saying, no, God's maker of all. And God's place is overseeing all of it and invites us into the process of being participants in making our community better. It says that God will take up the cause of the poor, particularly when they are oppressed by others or exploited by others. The closing two verses of this week's passage says we're not to exploit the poor simply because they are poor and easy to exploit. Do not crush the needy in court, even if the court system has a prejudice against them. For the Lord will take up their cause. And in so doing, those who have been exploited, exploitive, those who have um, crushed others, God will take up the cause of those who have been crushed. And those who have done the crushing will be plundered. It does support the reading of scripture that says woven into the universe, into the very fabric of God's creation, are consequences of poor behavior. It certainly could be put under the umbrella of God's authority because God's the creator of all. But it is just woven into the fabric so that if we engage in actions that are destructive, eventually we'll find destructiveness is on our heels. So let's move to the second reading. Uh, Pardon me, the middle two verses that say, A generous person will be blessed. The person who shares his food with the poor, 
this is an individual who will be blessed. It is a call to hospitality. It is a call to see and then in seen needs to ask, how can we help? And it's different for different people. It's different because we have different resources. We bring different things to the table. As I just mentioned, the study in Ephesians tell us we are each unique and creatively made. We come with our own network, a system of people that we know. We come with our own geographic location, our own attributes, our inner passions, our resources. So we bring something unique to the table and how we respond will be different. There's no uniform way to respond other than the call in this passage to have an eye that sees, an ear that hears, and a heart that responds. Those are the words of Jesus. And he's using the passage out of an Old Testament uh, prophet. And so this call this morning is to simply say, let's begin with finding in this book of wisdom ways by which we can see, ways by which we can hear, and have a heart that's softened, not guilt-ridden, not defensive, not worrying about the language we use or um, how we phrase what we do, but instead being people that look for ways to create a more just world, a world that benefits all and helps all, a world that calls us into action, action that's based on reflection, thoughtful conversation, engagement. We are in a place that's very different than the culture of Proverbs, in that we are not any longer a group of people that is dependent upon land. That was part of the problem that was being addressed in many of these chapters and verses. A problem where if somebody lost their land, they lost their ability to eat because the land produced food. It's in part the reason for the year of Jubilee, where land returned to its original owner. We have no evidence that the year of Jubilee was ever enacted, but it was a process by which we acknowledge the needs of people and how circumstances can take away their ability to even sustain themselves or their family. And so it was a call to address people who, through sometimes circumstances that was completely out of their control, or maybe even circumstances within their control, were left in a place where they were unable to even have enough food to eat. We have stopgap measures in our culture. Land is not the way by which we get our food, at least directly. It's not the ownership of land. We go to grocery stores. We have certain social services that help people in that regard, for which I'm very grateful. But let us not have a blind eye or a deaf ear to the fact that there are needs all around us, in our community, in our neighborhoods, with a need for conversations that help us to do better, to see those needs, and to have a heart that responds. 
It may not be a matter of a jubilee year where we t return land to somebody, but maybe it's a jubilee meal that we share with somebody else, a moment where we recognize the need of somebody in our family or in our neighborhood and just try and stretch ourselves. The beauty of verse 9 is that the generous person shares. I want to learn to live a life of sharing. Sharing who I am, sharing what I have, sharing the journey with you and trying to become a better reflection of God's kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven. Join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your incredible grace to us. Thank you for loving us when we deserved no love at all, for forgiving us even before we asked for forgiveness, for picking us up in the midst of moments where we have found ourselves crushed. Maybe this morning there's somebody who's feeling crushed, and so will you help us to know how to be your hands, your feet, your voice? Will you teach us how to use our resources well so that we might share and help pick up those who feel crushed. Help us to be the voice of those who have no voice. If it's the golden age for us, Lord, help us to recognize it may not be the golden age for someone else. Help us to live in such a fashion that we see others when they hurt and we love others through their need. Help us to come alongside and to use our voice and our actions wisely. Help us, Lord, to be people who simply share. We're grateful for you, Lord, and we praise your name. So now I pray that this week hold for you the opportunity to recognize God's blessing, to learn a proverb that might stick in your heart and carry you for weeks, months, maybe even years to come. And that God, through God's Spirit, might open up your eyes, give you ears to hear, not raising defenses or guilt, but just seeing opportunities to share. And in sharing, bring you joy that you have been on the journey with someone else. I'm grateful we get to do this together. So go in God's peace. And until next time, may God's love be in you and shine through you. God bless you. Have a great week.